Welcome to the Maui Noko Oi Magazine and Silver Shark Media Podcast. I'm Jason Evans from Silver Shark Media. Very excited to welcome our first guest today, Tapani Vori, the GM of Maui Ocean Center. Tapani, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you, Jason. I really appreciate it being part of it, and uh, thank you for your listeners and audience uh, tuning in. Appreciate it. Absolutely. So I produce an educational TV series about nature and science, and I, I think the Maui Ocean Center is an incredibly valuable resource here on Maui. Tapani, I'd love to hear about how the Ocean Center came to be. Well, originally, actually, it's really the founding vision of uh, Morris and Benjamin Kahn. They are from Israel. Uh, they have aquariums worldwide. Maui Ocean Center, we opened back in 1998, and really how the vision of opening aquariums uh, came to Morris. Um, he was actually diving in the Red Sea one day, and uh, he had Benji with him, who was a young young boy at that time. And all of a sudden, he realized that Benji started uh, ascending too fast, going up. And of course, everyone who dives understands uh, what the danger is there. And sure. and he didn't want to see any injury to him. And he actually ended up injuring himself a little bit because he panicked a little bit. And he realized that he had to recuperate from that injury a little bit. And he realized that. Um, you know, there's such a beauty underneath the ocean, and he wanted to make sure that people in general see this and understand uh, the beauty of it underneath the ocean surface. And he realized when, when he was away from it that it was really hard for him. So that that was kind of a genesis for founding, founding the aquariums. And he actually started in 1970, 72 or 74, if I'm not mistaken, in Eilat, Israel, and then, of course, Perth, Australia, and Maui Ocean Center. And in 2007, we opened one in uh, Palma de Mallorca in Spain, which is another island location. What were some of the early challenges to opening the Maui Ocean Center? Well, Maui Ocean Center is quite unique. The whole premise here is that we have an open uh, water flow system. We pump 1.2 million gallons of seawater into the system on a daily basis. Then we have a filtration system. Uh, we filter it a couple different ways. We have high-pressure sand filters that remove all the biosolids and then we have a biological filter we call it a gravity filter that actually converts ammonia to nitrite nitrate uh, NO2 and NO3 then nitrite and nitrate is then converted to nitrogen gas uh, we have also protein skimmers and ozone generators that really polish the water quality that water is then released into the Malab Harbor, directly by the Coast Guard station here. When I became the GM here, or the general manager, about five years ago, water quality was really one of my top priorities. We had had some challenges on some exceedances on nutrient levels as we operate under NIPTES permit, which is actually based on the Clean Water Act of 1972 here in the United States. Um, so I wanted to make sure that we operate at optimum efficiency and capacity. And um, so I hired an environmental team and we really done a lot of scientific study. We work very closely with Department of Health, uh, with the state of Hawaii and EPA as well. And we pull in the uh, water from the bay from about 300 meters outside the breakwater here. The water quality inside the harbor is actually getting improved by the clean water that we are releasing back into the harbor. So the water you're taking in is, after it's filtered, you're, you're actually putting back water of, of better quality back into mm -hmm. the ocean. That is correct. We actually did a analysis. What would happen if we would stop discharging our clean water in the harbor? The ammonia levels at the boat ramp for those those listeners who are here on Maui and um, who are familiar with the Maalea, we have a boat ramp here at the end of the harbor, and that has a high concentration of uh, ammonia. And in essence, we are actually helping dilute that uh, ammonia levels there. 
what would happen if we actually, as of today, if we were to stop discharging the clean water, ammonia levels would rise to 37 micrograms per liter. The level of toxicity for the fin fish is 30 micrograms per liter. So what that means, or what would, would it mean in reality, we would have a fish kill in the harbor and probably a little bit stinky as a result. Sure. Well, one aspect of the Ocean Center, I think, that clearly comes through is the integrating elements of Hawaiian culture. Can you tell me how those decisions were made and and why it was important? Well, Uncle Charlie was really, uh, for those listeners again on Maui who are very familiar with Uncle Charlie, he was integral part of Maui Ocean Center when we started in uh, 98. And he insisted from the get-go that everything we did was actually acceptable to Hawaiian cultural practices. Again, when I became the GM here, I really wanted to shift uh, the gears and change our uh, strategy even more so adding value to the local community every day and really bring in the sense of place, uh, i.e. Hawaiian culture even more so, and the uniqueness and the beauty of Maui that we have here. You know, the marine life under our care, as you notice, I say under our care, it doesn't belong to us. We don't own it. We have a permission to collect it, monthly permission to collect it from the state of Hawaii around the Maui waters. So this makes us very unique. We are probably one of the few aquariums in the world that focus extensively on the endemic species or the species right around us. What we do also different is most of the animals under our care, we release it back into the ocean to the same spot, usually within two years. Uncle Charlie's uh, grandson, Cahodane Maxwell, normally he is part of the uh, collection and release um, when that happens, especially larger um, animals. So he usually places them in Hawaiian. There's a Hawaiian protocol that he does. And uh, so we take this really, really seriously and uh, make sure that that everything is done with respect and dignity, not only to the animals, of course, but also to the sense of place and the culture here. I think one thing I've noticed as well walking through there is is even within, you know, the aquarium is sort of a an education center for, for visitors. As you mentioned, you might have people who don't go scuba diving, who are not comfortable being underwater. And so this becomes an avenue of education for them to still get those experiences and what I've seen, certainly through the aquarium, is, is an effort of incorporating, um, whether it be historical components, Hawaiian names to different species, all these added layers uh, for people to learn and not just learn about sea life, but learn about this place. Yeah, it's actually, there's so many multiple layers to it. And I'm a transplant here. I'm originally from Finland. It's really important to me that personally that uh, we respect the host culture here and we really highlight the beauty of it in so many respects. And one of the personal calls that I have expressed here to our team that I would like to hear Olelo spoken in the aquarium here in the park at any given day. So it becomes more prevalent and then we become part of the sense of place like the signage here. I want to see it bilingual, Hawaiian and English, and all the landscaping is now converted to indigenous Hawaiian landscaping and so many things that we we are doing in in that respect. In keeping with the theme of education, uh, the Ocean Center does a lot of outreach with local schools here as well. Can you kind of talk about the involvement with the school system and and why that's also important to you? Well, you know, it's interesting you mentioned education. Um, I used to be a teacher a long time ago back in Finland uh, before I came to the United States. And children and the education is really close to my heart. Maui Ocean Center has hosted many schools over the years in terms of having school groups come here on a regular basis. And actually, when I became the general manager, one one request I had um, for Benjamin Kahn, who was the owner, I told him, well, I'm honored, but uh, one condition, that we get to start a 501c3. So for your listeners who 
people who may not know what that is. That is actually the IRS designation for the nonprofit. So we started Maui Ocean Center Marine Institute, and it actually has three foundational pillars. Number one, we have a turtle rescue facility here uh, on premises, and we also have the turtle stranding responder on the entire island of Maui. We work very closely with NOAA and actually under their permit, and we also collaborate with local organizations like we've been working very closely with UH Maui campus with Donna Brown there, for example, and Megan Jones. So that's one area. Second founding pillar is really coral repository. This is in essence a seed bank for rare Hawaiian endemic corals. As uh, all of us, we've seen the impacts of climate change and the ocean warming. It's having very, very visceral impacts here in Hawaii, for sure. We work very closely with the state of Hawaii, DLNR. We've actually exchanged all the rare Hawaiian endemic corals with the oil lab. Just like with NOAA, they want to build a fail-safe network. So on Maui, uh, Maui Ocean Center is part of this fail-safe network. So that way we have more resiliency and we safeguard the rare Hawaiian endemic corals. We work with restoring uh, some areas as per request by the state of Hawaii, where there has been damaged most recently in Molokini, for example. Yep. You know, we do not charge, you know, for this type of work. This is something that uh, we need to do to add value to the local community. I'm not sure if many of your listeners realize, but as of today, the coral reef ecosystem coverage in Malaya Bay is about 7%. 30 years ago, it was about 85%. So, why why is this happening? There are several reasons for it. Climate change is one. Um, Nutrient uh, loadings, that's another big thing, sedimentation. And it's not only happening here, it's happening in other areas too. Well, I, I think it's it's interesting to hear. The TV series I produce, we certainly are involved with lots of science, education centers, aquariums across the country and across yeah. the world. And what I always find refreshing and, and fascinating is the experience for a visitor is one thing when you go inside the doors and you learn about the endemic life. But I, I think that it's always encouraging to see how much more is going on outside the walls of the facility, um, that you do have your hands in conservation work. You have your hands in future planning when you get into situations like replenishing coral, when you get into helping marine protected areas. So I, I do think it's important for people to to hear these these programs that go on because I, I think a lot of times you can see a facility and that's mm-hmm. the experience kind of self-contained but um, it, it's great yeah. to hear the ocean center has your you know their hands in so many other positive projects throughout the Maui community yeah this became really evident early on to me personally uh, as I got really involved with water quality issues you know watershed really became a focus for me uh, because we we actually measured storm rain events, what the nutrient loadings were into the harbor, and it was shocking to see the um, the magnitude of the nutrients that were coming in, and also the sedimentation. And uh, look, we have uh, here in Hawaii, we have had 125 years of commercial agriculture, sugar industry that was really efficient at what they did, and they really uh, engineered these efficient water transportation systems, but the other side of the coin was there that uh, now all of a sudden the watershed uh, started degrading and got damaged and now the water is really running off from the ground and uh, into the ocean. Uh, that's always where it ends up. And that became really evident to me personally early on. And uh, I realized that we need to get involved. I also happened to sit on the board of directors with the Malaya Village Association 
which covers all the um, residents here in Malaya. And one area that we have been working very closely is trying to get a regional wastewater treatment facility. We've been working with Maui County Council, with Mayor Victorino, and also with the state of Hawaii. The issue that we are facing here in Malaya in our community is that uh, all the condominiums, they have injection wells. This was really considered uh, 30, 40 years ago a best-case treatment scenario, but things have changed quite drastically uh, since that time, and it was always intended to be a temporary solution, but for some reason, that temporary became a perm- sort of semi-permanent solution. So right. each condominium has an injection well there, about 40 to 60 feet in diameter, so with the rock structure that we have here, so it's quite porous. So we see nutrients leaching out into the um, near shore marine environment. And again, it has impacts there where all of a sudden we start seeing invasive algae species coming in. So all these things are connected. That's really my point here. Yeah, 100%. And I I think you have kind of a perfect storm in that area in particular, where, as you mentioned, you have heavy boat traffic, you have injection wells, you have agriculture runoff. Um, so it, it does become sort of a hotspot that, yeah. you know, has to be paid attention to at the very least and has to be monitored yeah. because there is a ripple effect. You, you might be five miles down the road and think, well, that doesn't affect me. But as you mentioned, it, it all is connected. Yeah. The third and final foundational pillar is really education outreach. The intent is there to really build up a robust and based uh, marine science uh, curriculum that we can actually add value to the local education system in that regard. We are already actually engaging local school kids and doing uh, volunteer programs, etc. We have created a lot of programming like the fish line uh, collections, uh, beach cleanups, etc. And we were actually able to hire executive director about a year ago. His name is Tommy Cott. Uh, so I would highly recommend if um, our local Maui residents or those visitors who come here regularly, if they want to get involved with the programming on the nonprofit side, they go to um, mocmarineinstitute.org and sign up for the newsletter and uh, look for those opportunities. There's a lot of them. Maui Ocean Center, the way I've seen our value uh, in regards to education is largely, like you mentioned earlier, a lot of people cannot dive. uh, They do not know how to swim. And many people go to beach when they come here or even residents. But, you know, I think Sylvia Earle really has said it the best. Um, I heard her say this on a radio interview last year, and it really brought it brought the point home to me. She said that there's a huge disconnect with between the public and the oceans. People do not realize the beauty underneath the ocean surface, and until they have that connection, you know, us removing resources from the oceans and dumping waste back into the ocean, you know, that will not stop. You know, because once we love something, then of course we have. Higher, higher likelihood of protecting it. So, yeah. you know, so what can we do as an institution, um, as an organization to foster this sort of love and education and understanding of the ocean? Quite many people who come to the aquarium, uh, visitors that I have seen come here, they, for example, simple thing like uh, they think corals, corals are a rock. But if you look at like Hawaiian culture, you have Kumalipo, which is the Hawaiian creation of origin story. And uh, corals have an integral part of the entire creation uh, sequence there. So that's the beauty of it. It's really part of our family. And why would we want to harm our family member? Right. It's a great way to put it. One other or one newer feature, I should say, that has been added to the Ocean Center is is something that whether you like the water or not, you might not have the ability 
or the permission to have an experience like your humpbacks of Hawaii experience. It's an incredible 3D presentation in a completely new theater setting that was created, I believe, just for that. Can you tell me kind of the inspiration for the Humpbacks of Hawaii experience and how it came to be? Well, again, I think the owner, the Benji, he really wanted to create an experience that you can experience the whales underneath the ocean surface. This uh, particular experience is really the first of its kind in the world. Uh, in Germany, in the city of Kiel, they have a small sphere that is probably half or three quarters of the size we have here. Ours is about 60 feet in diameter, and they use that only for scientific and education purposes. So, here we have actually developed this uh, fully immersive whale uh, experience, humpback experience film. I don't even want to call it a film because it's really an imp- experience. And, yeah, 100%. Uh, most people, they compare it to IMAX or they tend to use the word IMAX. I, I would argue that it's even better than IMAX uh, because it really takes you into the inside uh, or underneath the ocean surface and you can hear the humpback whales uh, singing and you know the whole experience it's uh, almost holographic in that sense and the way we accomplished that is we had a company their headquarters are is actually in sweden it's called fellert they do mostly classified projects they work with the dod and navy department uh, this is the largest sphere they have done in the world and they did the projection screen there inside so that was all handmade and uh, it's actually made out of recycled cotton uh, believe it or not but oh it gosh. has uh, you know, really interesting acoustical dynamics. Um, then the uh, projectors, uh, we work with an American company called Evans & Sutherland. These were actually so new that uh, we got the beta version of the projectors and we already had to change uh, change them once because they had some glitches uh, in them. So the experience, if you came in the first couple, three months, uh, the experience is even better now. And then we have emitters that we embedded in the 360 projection screen and then that coupled with the active uh, classes that everyone wears, that actually brings the image into the space, if you can imagine that. This is unlike any other 3D experience one has experienced before. So it's quite unique in that sense. What I really insisted from the get-go with the architects, we built an opening directly to the parking lot. There's a metal gate there. We offer the space pro bono basis to all the local organizations, whether they're nonprofit or for-profit, uh, with one condition, that they do not charge uh, admission uh, to host those events there during the off hours. So uh, we have several organizations who already take advantage of this. And for those people listening, if you belong to a nonprofit, just reach out to me, um, tvwari at mauioceancenter.com. Well, I can tell you, with the TV series I produce, I've, I've been in the water with large animals, humpbacks included, for research, filming before, and experiencing for the first time the the humpbacks of Hawaii felt as close or closer than you could be in the water. It it is quite remarkable. Uh, I think for people who are comfortable in the water and for those who aren't, who will, will not be in those situations to to have that kind of feeling and experience. So I I think it's a, a, a job well done. I think certainly something that will be modeled throughout the world. And I think other aquariums and facilities to try to mimic the experiential component of, as you said, yeah. it's not just a film. It feels like a 15-minute dive in the water. Yeah, and then we have the humpback uh, whale exhibit right next to it, which is also quite interesting. We actually hired exhibit designer to help us uh, execute that planning. And, and I told him from the get-go, Chris, I'm going to make your life difficult uh, mm-hmm. with, in regards to this humpback exhibit. Three things. Number one, uh, we are going to invite local community uh, groups uh, as part of this design process because I want them to have a say 
how it's actually going to look like and feel like. Second thing was um, I told him I want you to question the preconceived notions uh, we think we know about the humpback whales. And the third one, I want you to build a layered exhibit. So I want people to come here multiple times and preferably people become members. So there's always something new to find here and they see value in doing that. You know, if you have somebody who's visiting us once, that means that I have failed because I, I don't believe in one quick visit uh, we can really fully inspire someone to see the beauty, you know, in the oceans. And and it's my hope that people start having these conversations at their homes, wherever they come from, about environmental conservation issues. Because, you know, as you said earlier, actually quite insightful uh, is aquarium, you know, it's not a box anymore. You know, it, it is part of the community. It has to be part of the community. I see us adding value is because of the educational component and how we're educating and inspiring people, but also how unique we are in terms of endemic species and then returning most of them back to the ocean within two years. But fundamentally, aquarium industry has a problem because it's a captive industry. So how can we be part of the positive change? So, you know, 20% of marine life under our care, it actually comes from a sustainable supply chain. What I mean by that is that there is aquaculture to finfish starting to become more available. We work very closely with um, Oceanic Institute on Oahu in Waimanalo, and also UH's uh, Halo Campus. They are also doing aquaculture, and it is our intent to provide fish eggs for them so they can attempt to aquaculture even more species. Imagine if all the aquariums, not only in Hawaii or in the States, but in the world globally, would have similar commitments, and not only 20%, but 40 or 60 or 80% even. Uh, sure. What would the uh, positive impact be uh, for the environment? Most of the aquariums, they actually purchase the animals that they display. We do not do any of that. I, I, I do want to switch to what you're going through now as a business and okay. as a facility. So when when everything kind of started to really become real, let's just say, and you kind of started to get the foresight that, that this is going to be a prolonged situation on Maui and we get into stay-at-home orders and businesses closing. How were you processing that information as it was happening in as it relates to employees and the facility? Well, as we all know, the one challenge that uh, we have as a community, larger community in the nation is that we do not have enough information about this and things change on a daily basis sometimes. We made a decision to close down the park on March 17th. That was our last day of operating. We covered the uh, health insurance for every single employee uh, through the month of April. So at the end of this month, uh, it will expire, unfortunately. Uh, we've offered other solutions um, for people to look into, like COPRAs, et cetera. We have also applied for the PPP uh, relief uh, funding. Uh, we were approved, so uh, but we need to get the guidance how we deploy that funding. I think what I'm hearing from the mayor and the governor right now on their proclamations for the month of May, we still have at-home at stay orders. Um, so we will not open, obviously, while that is happening. I'm hopeful that uh, we we may be able to manage opening uh, what I, uh, starting June 1st. Uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, it's dependent, of course, on what's happening on the mainland. So it's a very fluid situation. As this is all happening, we have actually a skeleton crew here. We divided the operations and curatorial into two teams, A and B team. So... Um, 
they are actually segregated. We are a team work, so three days, one week, and um, B team, and they keep switching back and forth. I also made sure that we have um, somebody sitting at home in isolation, and his only job is to stay healthy and <laughs> and safe because uh, and, uh, if something happens here to our teams, we, can, we always have a backup we can bring up. We also increased our security on the side here. We need to make sure that everything is safe and secure here as well. Well, you, you touched on a little, and one question I hear a lot is how are the animals being taken care of now like they would be normally? Yep, same as normal. So nothing has changed. They are really the priority we have here. So if you ever feel like there's an issue, then obviously um, the only option available for us is at that point to return the animals back into the ocean. In looking for kind of silver linings in this whole situation, from a conservation standpoint, we've seen images of different cities around the world with less pollution, Yep. It's like Los Angeles with no cars on the road. We've seen waterways that might normally be a little more dirty. Um, I know Venice is a very common one where you see kind of clear water in Venice with all of the boat traffic. Boat yeah. traffic off Maui for tourism has been eliminated for over four weeks now. It could be double that before the island releases a stay-at-home order. In one perspective, do you think our waters, in a way, are, are benefiting from this break, where you have less boat fuel, you have less sunblock from snorkelers going on the reefs? Is there kind of a silver lining for the health of the ocean during this time? I believe so. I think you're absolutely right. Look, Maui County is pretty progressive. We've uh, really looked at, uh, as a community, uh, Areas like uh, sunscreen, uh, actually it was statewide ban. You know, the plastics uh, bans just came in effect here on Maui. The focus really becomes, I think, uh, what is sustainable tourism. And, and some of you, your listeners may wonder, well, isn't he in tourism business? And uh, yes, that's true. But uh, ultimately, you know, it's not in our interest uh, to see uh, uncontrolled uh, tourism because so. Uh, I think we all see the negative impacts of it. I actually recently saw there was a statistics or graphical comparison, I think in Hawaii business uh, came out, uh, what would be a sustainable tourism level for the state of Hawaii? And the ideal numbers seem to be in seven, six, seven million uh, uh, people range. And as of today, we have 10 and a half million. So there's quite a variance there. So we definitely see impact in terms of how the oceans are. There are some things that are beyond our control, like the ocean water temperature, regardless how many people are here. Sure. Well, I'm hopeful that now that everyone kind of has this hard pause here, that we have a chance to really look at, well, what is meaningful for us as a community and what makes sense? What is sustainable? How do we want this uh, community to look like for our kids and our grandkids? We need to make decisions that uh, ensure the communities uh, in perpetuity and you know natural environment. Well, I'll bring the last question back to, to the Ocean Center itself. Let's project that things get back to some semblance of normal uh, over the next few months. What's next for Maui Ocean Center? Well, we're having discussions right now how we manage the number of people coming here. You know, it's important uh, that we keep everyone safe, uh, whether they're uh, team members here or the um, visitors who come here. We are looking to continue to do improvements uh, into the park. It is my intent that we continue to focus on the local host culture. And we did not talk about the Kaholawe exhibit, for example, that has been very impactful, especially with the local community. And many people are quite surprised to see an exhibit on an island, uh, about the island here in the aquarium. Uh, but to me, it's so natural because it's right here in front of us. This is what we need to be all about, in my opinion, because we need to, to me, 
the bottom line is that we need to keep adding value to the local community every day. Uh, otherwise, what is the point? I mean, I think the times of organizations and companies just existing for the sake of making more and more money, I, I think people are starting to question that premise. Well, Tapani, I, I could talk environmental science, earth science, and ocean topics with you for hours, probably. Um, but I, I, but I, I will, I will let you depart for now for today. I, I do appreciate your time explaining kind of the history of the Ocean Center and certainly tackling uh, some unexpected challenges that you're dealing with today, and hearing kind of the goals and community outreach that that's going on with the Ocean Center now and into the future. Uh, I hope is certainly encouraging for folks. If People wanted, once again, if people wanted to get in touch with you, whether it be from an educational standpoint to reach out to the Ocean Center, it could be virtual learning, it could be bringing a classroom down, what would be the best way for them to do that? There are several ones. Um, I would recommend uh, take a look at our social feeds, whether it's Facebook, uh, Instagram, or Pinterest. We are fairly active. We are doing um, educational series there, different things. On our website, uh, sign up for our newsletter, uh, MauiOceanCenter.com. And also, uh, MOCMarineInstitute.org is very important. I'm always available. My email is tworry at MauiOceanCenter.com. If anybody has any questions or concerns or complaints, I'd be happy to answer any any and all of them. Perfect. Well, thank you, Tapani. I appreciate it and look forward to seeing you next time down at the Ocean Center. Likewise, and thank you for the opportunity, and this will pass as well, so uh, we'll be okay. Welcome back to the Maui and Okaoi Magazine and Silver Shark Media Podcast. I'm Jason Evans from Silver Shark Media. I'm happy to be joined by my next guest, Leisha Kamisato-Werning. Leisha, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So I wanted to have you as a guest because I think one thing that's really important right now is physical fitness. Leisha is the owner of Live Love Maui, a fitness yoga personal training company here on Maui. And before we get into your business today, I want to learn a little bit more about your background here on Maui. So growing up, what got you into this sort of world? I mean, where do you start? Growing up on Maui, everything is outside and I think it's so important to keep an active lifestyle. So I grew up with my dad being a fisherman and surfing. And so I got into it just like wanting to do something other than hang out in the parking lot in the middle, you know, of Kanapali. So I kind of just like started doing Taibo in my room and watching fitness videos and it was just something fun to do. And so once I graduated high school, like right out of high school, I was taking classes at the community college. And on my free time, I would do a home study and became a physical fitness trainer. And then I got certified and I got my first job when I was 19 teaching at the Westin. And at that time, they're really into step aerobics. And it's really funny because I do dance at a luau and I've danced at the Olahaina luau since I was six years old but I am very uncoordinated when it comes to (laughs) step or cardio dance class or anything like that it's pretty hilarious quite the irony for your background to have such a a deep background in dance but oh still feel that you're uncoordinated it's very ironic people get a kick out of it when I tell them that they're like how are you uncoordinated if you dance I'm like hula and Tahitian they're just I don't know so different than cardio dance and hip-hop you've kept a fitness and nutrition mindset, as you said, very early on, you were Miss Maui in 2004. um, And you had your your platform was nutritional and physical education for youth. Why was that 
an important platform for you? I think it's super important because that health is what we have. Health is going to get us through to the future and having a healthy lifestyle, eating and being physically fit is so important. That's what we have. And that's, what's going to lead us into the future is being healthy. When I became Miss Molly, I wanted to do something that we could teach the kids about. I mean, being able to have a voice and being able to have a platform and people wanting to hear what you have to say, it can be fun, you know, like physical fitness, like teaching kids how to stretch and you know, little things like that, that can make it fun for their daily life and they can do with their family. So that became important to me. You said you, you started with Weston where it was more of a step aerobic. How did the fitness side of it evolve um, with different practices and different routines and different types of physical fitness? So I started with step aerobics and that was a good way to get started because I was teaching at a resort. I'd always have new people coming in. So I kind of memorized my routine. So it became fun and I got to learn how to teach and how different people learn. And, and that was fun. And then a really good friend of the family is a master yoga instructor. He was like, Hey, you already have your fitness certification. Do you want to do you want to learn yoga? You want to get certified in yoga? And I was like, no, yoga is too slow. Like I, he was like, come on, why not? And I would go and visit him and my dad would be my student and I would give a class so he could watch. And he kind of just, that's how we trained sure. over time. And I became certified as a yoga instructor and, and it was a different pace for me, slowing down from step. I love spinning. I'm certified in spinning as well. I love all those fast paced. But then life took a little bit of a turn. My dad passed away. My mom passed away shortly after that. And I turned more into yoga for the spiritual aspect of it. The more mind-body connection of like learning how to get through tough times by turning inward, but making it a positive. And so yoga has just became such a huge part of my life in so many ways, just to express and to sit still and to be with myself and at the same time feel connected to my parents. So it took on a whole new meaning. I still love spinning. I still love all those things. I, I run. I love all those fast-paced exercises, but I love yoga just to be able to sit in the stillness and find my ground. And I think that's an important component of physical fitness, that it's, it's not just how fast you can run uh, how many weights you can put up. I think, especially now, fitness is such a great outlet for people to clear their mind, to kind of reset their body, um, and use these different genres of exercise to fit what they need most. Some people just need to burn off some energy. Other people uh, need to to clear their mind. And I think, I'm sure, um, that you've found the benefits of all these different outlets that you've mastered. Oh, absolutely. I think it's so important to just be healthy. People get so caught up in, I want to be skinny or I want to look like this person or I want to look like that person. And it's not about that. It's about being able to look at yourself and appreciate what you have because this is your body and this is going to be your body for the rest of your human life. So love it. The focus shouldn't be on losing weight. It should be on loving what you have and the rest will come. Which is a a great outlook for it. I think yoga in particular, I think is one and and I can speak on personal experience of someone who would 
had had a similar impression that you did of no way, too slow, not for me. Um, and I think people can be surprised when they start to kind of explore some of these different fitness outlets on on the reward that it can bring them if, if they allow it. It becomes a new challenge. Still the mind. The slowdown is the challenge. Right. So what was the inspiration for you to launch Live Love Maui? I've always wanted to reach out to a broader spectrum, I guess you could say, of people and just, you know, being on the island, it's it's small and you know everybody and it's hard to get in touch with the mainland or international. So I always wanted to do a yoga DVD. And in order to do that, I kind of had to start a brand and live, love Maui just seemed like it fit me. Like Maui is my home. I, I love where I live. And so I was like, okay, live, love Maui. That's it. And that just became my brand for my business. I started my, or I did my first DVD back in 2012, I think, and then launched my website and did some YouTubes and just moving more towards branding myself and getting out there for a broader audience. I got to work with Lululemon. I became their ambassador and that was like a dream come true. I got to teach at Wanderlust on Oahu in 2016. You were on Lululemon's website with with a really nice profile as well, which is an international website that, that came to your small town in Maui. Yes. I had the team of nine people from Lululemon come out and do a video and it was amazing. I I feel so appreciative and just filled with gratitude that I been able to be a part of that company because I feel like they just support their people so much and they reach out into the community and do so many good things. And when they came out and did that video, it was just mind blowing to me. One of the goals of this, this podcast is, is we're talking to businesses big and small and you are, you know, when you launch a business as a, a solo entrepreneur, that's as small as it gets. It's a one person brand that starts to grow. So what were some of your early challenges with starting live, love Maui? And what were some of your early successes? I think some of the challenges, I mean, all of it was challenging because it was so new and I didn't have anybody guiding me. So it was like something I just wanted to do and I kind of learned as I went. Starting a business is scary in itself, just learning all the business side of things, right? And then actually putting yourself out there is a whole nother thing because that can be intimidating as well and learning as you go. And so... I think it was just taking the time to actually just like believing in myself, prepping myself, getting help from my friends that were always there, always supporting me. And then making that first DVD was a huge success for me. Like that was just a dream come true. And it was just the first major like, wow, I did it. And then getting a website and another thing checked off. I'm not a computer techie person at all. Being able to launch that was huge. And then I started a blog, which I've always wanted to do. And it's Leisha's Daily Doses of Awesomeness. And all it is is just a quote and my little blurb of what I think about the quote. And that was another thing to check off the list. I mean, all scary, but I did them even though I was scared. And it wasn't to get a million people following me. It wasn't any of that. It was just because I felt inspired to do it from my heart. Throughout all the hardships and all the tears and being scared, I really felt like all the things I conquered 
that were so small that nobody would ever see felt so good yep. because I learned something. And I think one thing that we've certainly picked up on in talking to people is it, when you have something you believe in, it becomes a little bit easier to handle the small speed bumps that come up along the way. As you said, you don't come from a background in computers. Some people don't come from a background in finance. Other people don't come from a background in marketing. But if you believe in your product and continue to aim towards your goals, I, I do think that belief gets you a little bit further when things get get difficult versus just having an idea that is set purely on a profit margin or a follower count. I think that there right, is something absolutely. to be said about that. I mean, I haven't even ever wrote a profit or loss. Like I wouldn't even know where to start to do those things. It was like, I just kind of just did what I felt and found a way to get it done. And I'm an only child and I lost my parents. And I think a lot of what I do has been driven to make them proud in a sense. Sure. Cause I feel like they're always with me. So when I conquer something that's so small and I get it done, it's like, I have my cheerleaders with me always and it, it feels good. It makes me just feel still connected. Which is awesome. So I, I want to talk and shift into kind of the situation now where people do have this stay at home order that's been going on for over four weeks now and could be going on for another four weeks or more. When it comes to these limitations that households and individuals have, you hear a couple common themes. You hear a couple things of if people live by themselves in terms of that social isolation where they're not getting that social interaction every day that a person might be used to, whether it's through work or through friends. Another big thing is physical fitness. So many people belong to gyms. So many people belong to classes that make them feel connected that kind of tick off both of those things of social interaction and physical fitness, whether it be yoga, bar, um, aerobics, whatever. What is your advice to people at home that let's say they're more gym oriented, they're less apt to be interested in going for a run? What is your advice for people that are just craving that physical outlet? I feel like this is such a great time to reset, readjust and just recenter. And we're all making changes. I mean, it's not easy at all, just having to stay home. But I think it's really important to think of the positives of it and just living in a state of appreciation for where we are. I mean, we're on Maui. I'm sure people are listening to this from all parts of the world, but we're on Maui. I get to wake up and look outside and feel so much gratitude for just where I am at this moment. And I think my perspective has shifted a little bit in that sense of like the first week, the second week is getting a little stir crazy, getting a little, oh my gosh, I don't have this, I don't have that. But switching that perspective slightly, turning that little knob makes such a huge difference to just get up and realize, you know, we're all in this together. And there are so many other alternatives. I mean, it's a time right now to try new things. Everybody's offering virtual classes and you can hop onto YouTube and find different classes and yoga and offerings. You can use stuff for weights, like books for weights. I, there's so many ways to do it and have fun with it. And there's going to be days when it's harder than others, but at the end of it, there are so many ways to keep healthy and active. I, I think another thing certainly for your industry, you kind of have, were already doing 
these virtual lessons and virtual classes because you have clientele that come out here, maybe it be once a year, maybe it be once in their lifetime and they just really like the class you took. But you have done these, whether it be Skype, whether it be Zoom, these virtual classes in the past. How do you see the fitness industry changing a little bit because of the popularity of that where people are realizing hey, I might not have to drive 45 minutes to the other side to take class and then 45 minutes back and then the class is an hour and a half and I don't have three hours, but I do have 45 minutes and I can hop on, as you said, I can hop on YouTube and do a pre-recorded workout or I can line my schedule up for a live virtual lesson. How do you see this virtual component growing within the fitness industry? You know, I, I do get to do FaceTime and Skypes and Zooms, and I have been doing it for a little while with clients in California. It's nice because people can just get up and they're right in their living room and use what they have available. And we kind of mold the workout towards that. And nobody has to drive. It's quick. And I feel like you still feel that connection. Nothing is like a live class. I mean, the energy of the live class and all that stuff, but you know, now that we've moved more into like these Zoom and these virtual classes, you can still feel connected with people. And it's really nice just to see people's faces. Yeah. And just for everybody to say a quick hello, and then the class starts and, you know, just coming together in a way. And I feel like it's such a great thing because people are trying new things. They're rolling out of bed, they're getting onto their mat, they're turning on their computer, they're doing something they've never done. And they're feeling comfortable because they're at home. You know, you're not worried about where do I want to go in the class? Who's going to be there? Oh, I don't know. You know, you're just in your living room. All you have to do is turn on that computer. You don't even have to turn on the the video if you're that uncomfortable. But just being able to get up and do something, I think, is great. And I see this happening even more. I think it's awesome. One thing you've been doing is you've been hosting zoom workout classes free of charge what inspired you to reach out to your network to say hey look if you guys want to get a workout in i'm gonna do it this is the time this is the day what was your inspiration behind offering these these zoom workouts while people are obeying the the stay-at-home situation my thing was more mental health and i feel like i can do it and it gives me a purpose and if i can help somebody else to feel good or make their day a little bit brighter, then great. And that's really all I want to do Yeah, is just give people an outlet, a way to wake up, get a little sweat going, stretch, feel good, some positivity, feel connected, and just set intentions for their day, positive intentions. And I do think it's so important and so awesome to come together and inspire each other from afar and just feel that connection see each other's faces and know that we're not alone if people wanted to reach out to learn about how they can join one of these classes or or see what your schedule is for these zoom classes how would they do that i kind of schedule them just whenever i don't have a set schedule right now but i do post them on my instagram which is lisha 808 lysha808 um so i post them on there And then I also have a website that I have for YouTube videos that you can follow. And that's MauiFitnessAndYoga.com. Let's say not everyone at home is comfortable with a class or might not want to do a live virtual class. What are some exercises or outlets of physical fitness that 
you would recommend that are easy to do at this time to at least get people moving and, you know, maybe even, as you said, kind of help their mental health of just being able to kind of unwind for a little bit. It doesn't have to be high impact, but just some basic exercises for maybe folks that aren't uh, more advanced in the fitness world. Get up off the couch, put on some good music, whatever feels good for you, and just move. <laughs> whether it's walking, whether it's dancing, whatever it is, just get up and move. I think that's so important. It doesn't always have to be some precise exercise. It's just moving your body. I, I think, as you said, one of the benefits we have here at Maui is we, we do have the weather uh, in our favor when a lot of folks around the country and around the world might not have those same opportunities to at least get out in the neighborhood and go for a walk or go for a run or a bike ride. So um, something certainly to take advantage of. Well, Leesh, I, I do want to thank you for taking the time to, to tell your story, your passion and of your business and of the ability to offer these classes and opportunities to people who might not have their, their normal schedule available at the moment. So I'd highly recommend following you on Instagram, going to your website to, to learn more about how they could get a hold of you if, if they're interested in that. So thanks again for, for taking the time today. Thank you so much for having me. I just want to say that everybody be kind to each other, be compassionate. We're all in this together. Stay home if you can, social distance, do your part, and we're all going to get through this. And move, put on some music, do a little dance.